Yes, words of Jesus this morning to us. Jesus said and is still saying today some important words. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, we say, don't we often, don't judge a book by its cover we often say, but most of us, of course, most of the time do precisely that. Well, I know I do. I hate to think of the number of books I've bought as a bookaholic and never read, only because I was attracted by the cover of the book. So what was Jesus saying in this passage from the Sermon on the Mount? What did it mean then? And more precisely, what does it mean to you and me this morning? this afternoon well all of the audience listening to the teaching of Jesus on that occasion would have been religious religious in one way or another yes labeled religious together with of course the professionals the pro the professional boys and girls well it wasn't girls those days just the professional boys the scribes and the Pharisees the official spiritual leaders if you like, the clergy of their institutional religion. And it's to them and about them that Jesus says, beware. Beware, Jesus is saying, all that glitters isn't gold. Outwardly and to all appearances, the officially religious leaders, yes, manage somehow to keep up the appearance of religion. But inwardly, says Jesus, inwardly, inwardly, They're ravening wolves. You see, Jesus, as a revolutionary, he came to turn religion inside out. And so he's wanting to get always to the heart of the matter, to demonstrate that true religion comes from the inside, from the heart. It's an interior matter before it is expressed outwardly. Jesus wants to go to the heart of this matter of what we call religion. If you like, he's the true radical. Radical from the Latin, of course, radix, which means root. Yes, Jesus wants to get to the root of everything and is saying, shorthand, no fruits without roots. Ah, that's the heart of Jesus' message at this point. Oh, the religious leaders of his day, of course they wore all the right robes, says he, standing here in front of just the right robes, of course. He calls them sheep's clothing. The true shepherd watching his flock wore, in fact, in Jesus' day, a sheepskin, Yes, worn with the skin outside and the fleece to keep you warm over the heart inside. But a man might wear a shepherd's dress and still not be a shepherd. The prophets had acquired by Jesus' day a conventional dress or uniform. It wasn't a dog collar, but it was a uniform. Elijah, you see, started it all off in the tailor business by having a hairy cloak, 2 Kings 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 8. 
That sheepskin had become the standard uniform of the prophets, rather like the Greek philosophers you know used to wear those philosophers' robes, which became in our day the academic gown. It all goes back to the Greeks. But sometimes this was put on by frauds. Zedekiah, Ze Zechariah, wrote that in the days to come, the true prophet, he says, I quote from Zechariah verse, chapter 13, he says the true prophet will not put on a hairy mantle in order to deceive. So Jesus is picking up on all of that. Yes, there were false prophets who, like Mrs. Bouquet, just wanted to keep up appearances, wearing a prophet's cloak, but who lived anything but a prophet's life. You remember perhaps the story of when uh, the prophet Samuel came to choose the future king and went to the house and saw all the brothers of David, and he said, neither, is the Lord, neither of these are the Lord's anointed, though outwardly they were very striking, tall, striking, looking. But eventually, of course, he longs to see David, the shepherd boy, who's outside working. Because he says, and I quote, God looketh not on the outward appearances, but on the heart. So the question you might want to ask then, well, it's all very well to go on like this, but how do I know the difference between the genuine and the false? And Jesus gives us the reply this morning. He says, by their fruits you shall know them. No fruits without roots. So there's more to this than meets the eye, he says. Are grapes gathered from thorns, asked Jesus. There was a certain thorn, the buckthorn, which had little black berries which closely resembled grapes. Or he goes on again, or figs from thistles, he says. There was a certain kind of thistle at that time which had a flower which from a distance could be mistaken for a fig. So all of this teaching here, you see, would ring bells with the ordinary people, tyrannized as they were by their religious leaders. So I finish by saying, or begin to conclude, <laughs> what about today? What is Jesus saying today to us? Not only to religious leaders, but to all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. God is Back was the title of a book published three years ago and written by two editors of The Economist, The Economist in this country and The Economist in the United States. God is back. Yes, religion is back, dear friends. It's on the headlines of our newspapers today. Religion is back for better or worse. And I have to say to you, mainly for worse. It's back and it's not all good. But then the corruption of the best is the worst. And when religion goes wrong, boy, it goes wrong. The danger today, then, is not so much outward appearances of uniform and dress, though that still applies, but I think our habit of labeling, labeling people. He's a Muslim. She's a charismatic. Bells and smells. Happy clappy. Jew. Buddhist or whatever. So let's briefly apply Jesus' teaching today to discern, that's the word, true religion from false. And don't mind the labels too much. Look at the substance. Go to the heart 
and by their fruits you shall know them. Well, by their fruits. St. Paul tells us what the fruits of the Spirit are. What are they? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Love, the first of the fruits of the Spirit. That's the acid test. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, go to church every Sunday, pay a tithe of my income, do this, do that, and have not love, I'm a clanging symbol, yes. Secondly, religion is false, which consists solely or mainly in the observance of externals. You see, it's easy to confuse true religion from false. True Christianity, as I've said, is an inner attitude of the heart. And that attitude springs from the same mind and attitude as we see in the person of Jesus. Thirdly, religious teaching is false if it produces a religion which consists mainly of prohibitions, what you must not do. I'm sad to say that eight out of the Ten Commandments are negative. Thou shalt not. If a person could be a true Christian simply, I have to say, by abstaining from doing certain things, it would be a much easier religion than it really is today. Fourthly, religious teaching is false if it produces an easygoing religion. Enter by the narrow gate, says Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. Beware when everybody speaks well of you. Popularity, dear friends, is the exception if we're the genuine article. Fifthly, religious teaching is false if it divorces religion from everyday life. Seven whole days, not one in seven. I can't resist telling you the little story, the proverbial story of the little boy who threw a stone through a stained glass window in a church. In the stained glass window were the words, glory to God in the highest. The little boy threw the stone right through the letter E in highest. And so it now reads, glory to God in the high street. Do you see? We sing glory to God when we come to church in the highest. Seven whole days, not one in seven. We should also be singing glory to God in the high street on the ordinary days of the week. And finally, religious teaching is false if it produces a religion which is arrogant and exclusive. Jesus came to t turn the church inside out in order to let the outsiders in. Yes. Any teaching which encourages a person to withdraw into a narrow sect, holier than thou, and to write off everybody else is false, according to Jesus. To Jesus, you see, there were no outsiders. He tore the wall of partition down in order that all the outsiders may come in. You and I so often draw a line, don't we? I do it all the time. Yes, God, I can love everybody, but I have to draw a line at my mother-in-law. I mean, have you met her? Or I have to draw a line at my boss. Have you met him? I'll tell you this, dear friends. 
Wherever you and I draw a line, Jesus draws another line right through it. It's a cross. It's a sign of unconditional love in which there are no outsiders and no insiders. Wherever we draw a line, he draws a line right through it. Fosdyke, the famous great preacher at Riverside Church in New York, which I had the privilege to preach, says that sects say something like this. Sectarian people say something like this. It's a rather nice doggerel. We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no room in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Yes, in Christ, as Paul says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, bond nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ. So, yes, we do live in an age when the ugly face of perverted religion is back, as it was for Christians throughout most of our history. It's a religion of fear, not a religion of faith. It's a religion of hatred, not a religion of love. It's back. So the challenge today is the challenge to discern the genuine from the false and to go, indeed, to the heart of the matter. For there can be no fruits, according to Jesus, without those roots which go deep, deep within us. I finish with a quote from that marvelous hymn by the Roman Catholic hymn writer Faber. He says this, For the love of God is broader than the measure of men's minds, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own.